HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Sombra, an award-winning artisanal mezcal handcrafted in Santiago, Matatlan, Oaxaca, Mexico. Welcome to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum, and I love to talk with people about what they do and how it influences their personal food stories. This is a show about people, life, and food. If you're just tuning in for the first time, all the previous episodes can be found in the archives at heritageradionetwork.org. I'm thankful for listeners like you, and I'd love it if you'd leave me a review wherever you find this podcast. For those of you with kids at home, I'd like to be so bold as to suggest you check out my other podcast. And even if you don't have kids at home, you can still check it out. Along with my co-host, Hannah Forden, the program manager here at HRN, we've created Time for Lunch, a fun, food-focused show for kids. We'd love it if you'd check it out wherever you get your podcasts. I'd also like to remind listeners that Heritage Radio is a nonprofit, and we need your help to stay on the air. If you enjoy this show and listen to the other great podcasts we produce every week, please find your way to heritageradionetwork.org donate to make your gift. Today's theme, say yes. We often deliberate long and hard about all sorts of decisions. Should we move, buy a car, take a new job? Sometimes we talk ourselves into it, and sometimes the more we think on things, we talk ourselves out of it. Do you go with your gut? Or do you overthink? Somewhere in the middle is where I fall. I sometimes wind myself up about something and never get back to feeling good about it. And sometimes I am impulsive, and I bring home things I really don't need, and I don't need another project, but they seem like a good idea at the time. My guest today is Elle Simone. She's a TV personality on America's Test Kitchen, and the story of how she got there is the meat of today's episode. Along the way, there were many times that she could have thought longer or overanalyzed, but one thing is clear, that saying yes has gotten her where she is today. So maybe you should be a little more like Elle and say yes. I'm from Detroit, Michigan, as most people know, but um, I spent a considerable amount of time in New York, which is where we met. Um, And it was in New York that I transitioned from social work to culinary. So I've been doing all sorts of culinary work since roughly maybe like 2006 and officially 2010 um when the world was open and we traveled and i'm and i have leisure conversations with other travelers which i do quite a bit i typically when traveling i typically don't tell people what i do Mm. unless they ask you know like i i tend to have more of an interest of in what other people are doing right and if i tell them what i do then we spend a lot of time talking about what i do (laughs) and less time talking about what they do right and and i i don't i don't like that you know i don't know if it's like 
you know, I wouldn't be like, I, I wouldn't say like it's an excessive amount of humility, but like, I don't know, you know, like I feel like people get overly excited when it comes to media and things that happen behind the television screen. And right. I try to, you know, I don't know, not play it down, but like just take so much emphasis off of it. You know, like it's, it's just TV or whatever, you know, right, I right. find like, I found like everyday life far more interesting. Right. So, so for people who are listening, who are not familiar yet with you and, and your work, you work at America's Test Kitchen, both I do. on screen and behind mm-hmm. the scenes. Yes. And so, yes, you know, yeah, people, I mean, I, I used to work in TV uh, behind the scenes and whenever I would mention, you know, oh, I, you know, I met Harrison Ford or I worked with this, people are always want to know about that. And always. I feel like for those of us that have worked on that side of media, it's just, I mean, in large part, it's just going to work. It's just going to work. Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah. You know, I people say that. You know, people say that all the time when they see like my social media, and they're like, "Oh, your life's so cool." And, and I, you know, and I'm not definitely not saying that my life isn't cool because <laughs> that's the part I'm really grateful for. But yeah. I'm also like, yeah, it's it's just my job, though. You know, like it's, right. if it it could a cool thing would be laying on the beach doing nothing. Right. You know, like for right. me, that's cool, right? Yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, but it's just my job. And then it, because being in media can really be so, um, expansive in terms of like experiences, one story kind of snowballs into another story. Cause then I'm like, oh, and then I was there with that one time, you know, and then I start doing the very thing that I didn't want to do, which is talk about myself for a whole hour and 20 minute flight. Sure. So, you know, I try to keep it simple and just say I'm a chef because the only questions you get after that are. Where'd you go to culinary school or, and, or what's your specialty? Like, right. which is also a quite an annoying question, but people who, they, people who are not in the industry don't know that. So right. I don't hold it against them. Either. Right, right, right. So I well, try to keep it simple. Well, I hope for the next half hour or so that you will be willing to talk about yourself because I think that you have a, you have a very interesting story and I think you have a lot to offer people in terms of the path of your life. I mean, so, you know, as I understand it, and and please like elaborate on it, um, you were a social worker. And then during the financial crisis of 2008, the work that you were doing kind of was no longer funded and Mm -hmm. you couldn't continue in, in that industry and sort of fell into culinary. Yes. Absolutely. That's almost exactly how it went. Um, I, except that I was also already working in hospitality. Like I would always have some type of moonlighting job um, in the evening where I'd be a hostess or, you know, my very first job at 16 years old, I was a server at a really delicious um, family owned restaurant chain called Olga's Kitchen in Detroit. Well, the one I worked at was in Dearborn, Michigan. But they're all, they're kind of all over like Metro D- Detroit, if you will, and I was a server there. That was my first job. So I, I think hospitality has had always been my first work choice, right? right. It was the, the thing that I knew, and and I I love food. Like I have a genuine love for food, and it, even if I didn't cook it for a living, I would love eating it. But um, I think my career did really start in hospitality. When I think back on it, um, social work was the degree that I got because my family encouraged me to get a traditional or take a traditional route in education and do something, you know, that could just like pay me a wage. You know, my, my, my parents are boomers, you know, and that's like, that was the principles or the philosophies that they grew up with. So it was just good sound advice, you know? Um, 
and and at the time of course i didn't see um you know food network was still relatively new and maybe if there was one woman chef on the show at the time or the network at the time i I can't remember who she was because emerald was really kind of like the star right um so i just i just never saw myself represented in that capacity and thus never even thought that it could be a thing you know um, and so going into social work when it was time to make career choices just made all the sense. And I love people and I love helping people, um, allocate resources and all those things. There was nothing about social work that also wasn't complete in alignment with my life. You know, my mom, um, worked in the nonprofit sector as I was growing up. And so I was always um, like a camp counselor for United Way or, you know, like I was always doing some community service work. Right. And so working for the community in in a social work capacity also just made sense. Right. Like it all made sense. And I did it and I loved it. And then, you know, the one of many <laughs> recessions, unfortunately, sure. you know, hit and. Um, when the agency I worked for lost their funding, I did still have my night jobs working in restaurants. And, and that was kind of my saving grace. And instead of going back into the nonprofit sector, which ca- kind of was becoming a little more stressful than I, I anticipated, you know, I guess at that point I had already been in for like five years, six years, and that, that might just be the cap on it. But, um, you know, I just leaned into the job I already had, you know, it was already difficult enough trying to find work during that time. So I just kind of went in head first and asking the manager if I could work more hours and, and then them telling me they didn't have more hours for front of the house, but they needed some help in the prep kitchen, mm. you know, and I was like, okay, I can, I can prep food. I've been doing that for my, my aunts and <laughs> right. grandmother forever. I sure. can do that. And, um, you know, I got in that kitchen and um, there was um, there were three um, Ecuadorian sisters, like literally three sisters mm. working in that kitchen. And they taught me everything and beyond. Right. They taught me not only the things that I needed to learn how to make for the restaurant, but they taught me how to make like killer family meals. You yeah. know, so it was just a really um, you know great experience. And, and my first time really um, learning about Ecuadorian food. Right. Because Detroit has a huge um <clears throat> middle eastern population mm-hmm. there's a there's a very large jewish community there's um, a very large mexican american and mexican community but ecuadorian food was kind of a small pocket of of food you know and a small pocket pocket of people and culture and food that didn't really get a lot of you know talk about in, right. in michigan right so that was a, that was that, I think that was the first experience for me where I was like, oh, gosh, this this food thing goes far beyond what's right under my nose and what I know. You know, there's also a, a, a substantial Polish community in Detroit and, and their food culture is, is very much saturated in the city's history. So we do eat in that way quite often. But, um, yeah, it kind of opened it opened my eyes a little. And then, you know, during that time, I was still searching for jobs and I was picking up the employment guide newspaper at, at every store or restaurant I would go to hmm. and saw that um, a major cruise line was hiring, Norwegian cruise lines, in fact, and they were looking for like level one cooks. And I figured, what's more level one than, than prep, <laughs> right? Right. right. <laughs> um, and they're... they're um, interview process was happening like literally not even half a mile from where I was working. So I went on my lunch break, I applied and ended up getting a conditional hiring. And shortly thereafter, it took about maybe almost a year for the maybe six months 
for the entire application process and clearances to go through. And I started cooking on a cruise ship and, and spent two years there and learned wow. so much. Yeah, yeah. I learned so much and had some really amazing um, mentors, you know. Um, when I think when most of the women in the world were having, in the, culin- in the culinary world, were having the, mo- the worst experiences, you know, with um, being in male-dominated kitchens, I was mm. actually having the complete opposite experience, oh, right? Like great. I was... I was having like a bunch of black male chefs who we all worked on contracts. So your, your executive chef could be there. If you worked a six month contract, you could have two different, two different bosses in a six month time. Right. right. Um, And also the same with the, the executive sous chefs, you could have a new group of sous chefs come in, you know, every six, every three months. And uh, I just was, was fortunate enough to have, um, some black male chefs who really took me under their wing and taught me the ropes in the kitchen um, and just gave me some very positive experience. You know, like um, I felt extremely equal in that kitchen. Of course, we were slightly outnumbered, but like there were women running the line, you know, and there were we all enjoyed our job. And we, you know, we were tired as hell. But yeah, it was great. You know, <laughs> like it was it was really great. You know, and I really thought I was jaded in a good way. I really thought that that was what I would experience going in. I mean, coming off of the ship if I got off, which I did eventually. But they encouraged me to go to culinary school and thus getting off the ship and um, going home and gathering myself for about a year and then going to New York with like $200 in two suitcases and, and deciding to work one last social work job and then pursue my dream, you know, of being something in this food or in this food world, you know? Yeah. So I, I want to talk about, I mean, it, it, it's so interesting. Yeah. I mean, I've talked with lots of, uh, lots of chefs about kind of the difficulties in the kitchen and having this sort of like male and testosterone dominated world. Um, and it's, you know, it's nice to nice to hear a, a counter to that, that, you know, that you did have a supportive, uh, you know, male led kitchen and there were other other strong women in the kitchen as well. Yeah. Um, you know, but I want to talk a little bit about what you found when you went to culinary school. Um, you know, I, I've listened to a bunch of other interviews that you've given and, you know, obviously I know you as well. We know each other like mm-hmm. in the real world, not just over the phone. <laughs> right. And, you know, I, I know that you talk about how when you went to culinary school, you saw that there were uh, women and there were women of color, but that they mm-hmm. were not well represented by anything. And that led you to start your own she chef is a social enterprise a lot of people think it's a nonprofit because mm. we kind of operate in that way you Got know it. um and maybe we will become a nonprofit. that's tbd but as of now um uh, we are just kind of um you know suited to kind of continue to find ways to bring women to the forefront of the industry but yeah, yeah i i went to when i was in school lots of women of color lots and then out in the in the working world i just didn't see that i hardly saw any women at all let alone women of color and you know it just got it 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 awakened my inner um social worker and was like what the hell you know like how how could this be and i went to the career services um um director who had i had become friends with after graduation and was like, hey, you know, let's let's do some research and find out where the people are. Like, ah, mm. uh, we, you know, like what's going on? And, you know, there were, I mean, there were a host of reasons why um, this particular demographic did, were not out in the world. Like, 
there were so many variables, like from childcare to non-traditional, um, you know, family structures and where, you know, t- people are responsible, financially responsible for their whole families at younger ages. Sure. And the, just the cultural differences, you know, so it, it just didn't fit into the entry level structure of people coming out of culinary school, you know, like it, it and it was a trade school also. Right. right? So trade, t- trade schools already have a tendency to not get um, as much respect or value placement as, you know, top tier schools yeah. when, you know, really at the end of the day, they're all teaching the same damn thing. Right. Yep. Um, it just depends on who can afford it and, and how it's presented. Um, so, you know, they, a lot of the students would leave our schools and would only get hired by like, you know, fast food or maybe slow food, slow food places pay more than they used to now. But like back then it was not a livable wage. It, mm-hmm. color is still barely a livable wage right now. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, so like to take it a notch lower and, you know, they took they've taken out student loans per, perhaps to even go to this trade school and now they have to try to figure out how to care for themselves their families and their educational debt on on a fast food pay pay scale right you where know? the hours and, might be terrible and yeah, it may not yeah. align with like getting kids to school or yes, helping other family things, members or getting you know, enough like, sleep or Who's picking up the kids from school? Yeah. You know, how are they getting, you know, so it was all those things. And so for the women that I found who stayed in the industry, I was like, you know what? We should form a brigade of sorts, right? Like, let's just get together and talk and see how we can support each other. And that's essentially how it started. Like, She Chef was technically like a meetup.com group. Mm. When, right? If you're old enough to know what meetup.com is. Yeah. I mean, it, um, it's so interesting to me. It's like the conceptually, it's my mother was part of the consciousness raising women's movement in the 70s. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, like, you know, and that was like women getting together and it moved from one person's house to the other and the husbands yes. weren't allowed to be there and they weren't allowed to cook, which is mm-hmm. like not the same as this, but like, you know, they used to joke that like it was the Entenmann's meeting because they would all bring <laughs> Entenmann's cakes because they weren't allowed to cook for each other and they would meet and, and talk. And like, that was the whole thing. That's it, right? It's a, I mean, you know, like, I think women who are committed to movements or seeing social change, they figure out a way to get it done, you know? Um, they figure out a way. And these these women, they wanted to figure out a way. Like, they loved being in this line of work. They wanted to continue to do it, but they needed support. Or, or they were there because they were able to provide support for someone else. Mm. And that was the most... Um, heartwarming thing for me you know like when that happens when there are people who are not coming because they need but because they can give I was like I'm, I'm onto something this is it and so you know I, we would post our gatherings on social media and people would say you know like oh uh, you know like what's a she chef I want to be a she chef and mm. I'll, yeah, I'm like hey you are you know if, <laughs> if you want to be one that's all you have to do to be one you know and um, you know, and of course, eventually my mom was like, Hey, you got to want to something, maybe you should, um, monetize this, you know? And, and to be perfectly honest, I still haven't really figured out a way to fully monetize T-Chef. Like, right. you know, because in order to do that, I kind of have to turn it into something else yep. or create a part of it that is something other than its original form. And while I, I'm, 
like emotionally open to it like mentally and physically to like to extract out of me more work to do that work i don't know if i'm there yet right yeah. now i just like and i love just providing a resource for people when they reach out but people are more and more wanting to, wanting to be in, involved in something that is um inclusive cohesive you know uh they want to be a part of an uh a body of people yep. you know I don't even think they know what it means, but they're just like, I, I need to be a part of something. Like, how can we make that happen? What does that look like? You know, but it's, commu- you know, we, it's community. We, we change. Right? It is community. It is community. Absolutely. And it's community um, building. And it and it's, you know, what I think what you when you mentioned the, the idea that there are people who have something to give and not just people that need something to me, that's yeah. really where it comes to with the community thing. And it sounds like. You know, you mentioned your mom a number of times, like she's a good sounding board for you, but some people don't have that. That's very true. That's very true. A lot of people, there are people who are surrounded by family members and still don't have a sounding board, you know, especially as it relates to careers, because when you do something that people have not done or people frequently do, you have less and less people to, to bounce ideas off of or talk to. So like to have the network, I think would be a great, a great idea. Yeah. And, and so people, if they want to, if they want to look at that and, and understand a little bit more or become connected, it's her, com. That's right. So let's talk about your current position. So you were in Brooklyn for a number of years. That's where we first connected. And mm-hmm. then you made a big jump to a different city uh, that yeah. has kind of a rivalry with New York. Uh, and and moved to Boston to work yeah. for America's Test Kitchen. Um, yeah. t- tell me about that, because I know that that came together relatively quickly, right, when it happened? It absolutely did. Um, <laughs> it's a really uh, interesting story. Um, how I was... I'll give you the long, short version. <laughs> um, and I think at, like, January 2016... I'd found myself with no book, like I was freelancing, food styling. Um, I was doing all the work that I loved in New York. Let me just say that. Thank you, New York, for everything that you offered me. <laughs> um, I was working, um, I'd spent some time working with you at Brooklyn Kitchen, which to date is like one of my top two favorite jobs. When people ask oh, my two favorite jobs, by the way, thank you. it's Norwegian Cruise Lines for touring around Hawaii, and it was the Brooklyn Kitchen um, for uh, good friends, good beer, and long dong sausages. So there's that. <laughs> um, but I had found myself in January 2016, and I had not booked any work, which is unusual. You know, as food stylists or media, we're usually kind of like booked at least three months out. Yep. And I was a little concerned, you know. And so, you know, I'm a pretty spirit. I'm not very religious, but I'm a pretty spiritual person. And I'm like, okay, uh, universe, uh, what's going on? This is new. I've never had this experience before. I don't, I'm nervous. I don't know how I'm going to make it. What you got for me? I'm very open. And, um, you know, at the time I was also kind of ready to thinking about leaving New York, you know, like open. But as far as I knew, the only other place to go for the kind of work that we do is LA. And I wasn't really sure if I wanted to move to a whole nother coast, you know, but I was considering all the things I had applied for a graduate, um, I mean, for a doctoral program mm-hmm. in culture, communications and media. I was considering doing a documentary about foodways. Um, I, you know, I was exploring all the options and um, I had a friend tagged me in a casting call that showed up on Facebook and I 
had had a friend make me a media kit, even though I had only had like two things of media in my whole life. And um, I sent them the media kit and the casting agent responded. I did a few blind auditions because she couldn't tell me who, who it was for. So mm. um, I was just doing blind auditions. And the, the ironic part is that about maybe about a month before this started rolling out, um, I I had been on Craigslist and I saw that there was like a commercial and I think it was for Le Cordon Bleu right before they were closing. They were trying to like do another campaign to like save the school and they were looking for chefs to do commercials for the school. And um, they called back and, and the one food styling gig I was able to land was on the same day. So, of course, I had to turn it. I had to turn the commercial <laughs> down. I was like, right. I got to go to work. You yeah. Know? And, um, right. You have to work in your, in your actual career. At yeah. The time. I got yeah. yeah. I have to do my real job. <laughs> and, and so, um, when this was happening, I thought it was another one-off thing, like a commercial. So when I had gone to new Orleans because I was being honored with another group of outstanding culinary people, um, and they do a monthly calendar, I mean, an annual calendar with themes. And this one was notable African-Americans in food. So mm-hmm. I was in new Orleans to be honored for this thing. And the casting agent called after we had already done like two or three videos with her giving me these vague instructions that I just didn't understand. And um, she's like, hey, the producers love you. They want to see you. Now, at this point, I had already been working in production like I was I had been doing behind the camera culinary production. So I know the language. When they say producers love you, that means they want you to do one more thing. Right, 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 right. right, right. <laughs> before they hire you. <laughs> right, right. One, one more so, freebie before that. <laughs> one more freebie, right? So I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'll call you when I get back to New York. Well, I got back. I forgot to call her. Or maybe I didn't forget. I think I intentionally <laughs> didn't call her. I was yeah. probably just like, whatever, girl, you know. Yeah. And um, she had called a few times, and we were playing phone tag, you know, because I was living my poor life. And then she finally called from a, a, a unlisted number and was like, okay, good. I got you. Go to your video, go to your computer. We're going to do this video. They really like you. So I do it. And um, the next email I get is from the producers at America's Test Kitchen. And, for, mm. and this is from her personal email. So I still don't know who I'm talking to <laughs> and about what. So we get on an email and she's like, um, let's do a, a Skype. This is pre-Zoom days, guys. Let's do a Skype video. And I'm and I as I was reading it and I read that line and I thought to myself, I don't want to do another Skype interview. Cause at this point we're at like number five. Yeah. And yeah. she's like, she's so the next it's almost as if she could hear me. The next sentence was, Don't worry, it's not an interview. It's not a video. It's just a, just a conversation. Right. So I was like, Okay, cool. <laughs> so we Skype and you know, she's talking to me about coming to Boston for an audition, and I'm like, Okay. And, and I guess you can tell by the look on my face that I'm just kind of like, what are you talking? What is this? Right. And she's right, like, because you, you know? still had no idea what this no was really idea. about. <laughs> right. Like it could have just it's, been like a 30 second commercial. Right. And like very much so. all this work it, going into it, it's like, what's the point? All this work. And I'm like, can somebody tell me something? So finally she says, do you know what you've auditioned for? And I was like, <laughs> ma'am, I have no clue. I don't even know who you are, really, honestly. And she was like, have you heard of America's Test Kitchen? And I, while I had not been, I'm not a, I wasn't a watcher at the time. I don't watch much TV then. I don't watch TV now. Yeah. It's just never been my thing. So I was like, ah, yeah, I've heard of it. Uh, you know, she was like, well, this is that. And this is for their TV show. I literally said to my future potential boss, no shit. <laughs> and she was like, yeah, shit. Right. <laughs> 
So it's like, okay, okay. So she puts it all on the table, you know, come out for an audition, a screen test, blah, blah, blah. And um, you don't have to answer right now. You can take a day or two. Call me back. Let me know. So I call, I call my whole, I put my, call my whole family. Those who I can't call, I text. And they're like, if you don't get off this phone and call that lady back today and tell her yes, like, do you have work? I was like, oh yeah, I forgot that part. I don't have work. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Sombra, an award-winning artisanal mezcal handcrafted in Santiago, Matatlan, Oaxaca, Mexico. Sombra owns and operates their own distillery, which ensures consistent quality, supply, and environmentally friendly production methods. Sombra is committed to sustainability, recycling distillation waste into adobe bricks to build homes for those in need. Learn more at sombramezcal.com. That's S-O-M-B-R-A mezcal. I guess I didn't remember that the job would have required me to, to move to the Northeast, right? So I did all of that and got really excited about it. And, and um, I came back from Boston. Everything went well. Like the whole, the whole situation went really well. And and uh, when I got home, I remember coming off of the J training at Halsey. I was walking down the steps, and my friend Jason from Mississippi called, "Hey, girl, how was Boston?" And I was like, "Well, you know, it was pretty good." And I I just got in, started getting into the story, and my phone beeps, and it's and it's them. So I was like, "Hey, this is Boston. I gotta call you back." And uh, so I click over. It's it's Mary Mullaney, who was the producer at the time. She's no longer with us, but still a very stellar producer. Um, she's like, Hey, we want to offer you the job. Now they told me it'd be a week. It was probably 72 hours, right? (laughs) That they called you back. (laughs) Yeah. They called me back. So they're like, Oh, I'm like, great. Okay. Well, what does this mean? And she was like, I'm like, can I live here? Can I commute? She's like, no, you have to move and we need you here in 30 days. (laughs) Harry, when I tell you, I literally stopped in dead in the middle of walking down the steps from the J train. I can see it. And you know that's a no no. You know you do not not stop dead in your tracks at the J train steps, any J train steps, right? And so um, I just like felt the blood leave my head. You know, I was like, oh my God, I'm going to, I have to leave Brooklyn. I got to, you know, Brooklyn. I worked so hard to get to Brooklyn. I love Brooklyn. It's my home away from home, you know? And everything I knew, I had to give it, you know, like I had to walk away from it all in 30 days. The timing was right, though, you know, and um, I was getting I was ready for a change. Like when I noticed when things about the city started to annoy me, things that didn't bother me in the past started to bother me. I was like, oh, it's time to move on. And what's interesting is that when I moved to New York, um, my aunt was leaving New York to go to L.A. And she said to me you're going to age out of it. Hmm. You might not be able to imagine that right now. Cause I was like, auntie, no way. This I love this place. This is the place. This is the place for me. And she's like, yeah, but you'll see, you know, like love it because it's lovable. Right. But when it's, when it's time to go, you'll know. And, and it was my time, you know, it was time to go. And, um, and I'm glad that I did because what was also happening was that I had been um, experiencing some health issues that I couldn't get anyone to give me good answers on. Mm. 
um, which later turned out to be ovarian cancer, but I would not get fully diagnosed and treated until moving to Boston. Got it. So to this day, I really feel like it was the universe putting me in a space where I could be cared for because I was going to have this particular issue. Because knowing now what I did not know then, which is how what, what going through chemotherapy feels like, mm. there's no way I would have been able to do that on on the J train, going to the city to go to the hospital or whatever that looks right. like. You right. know, like the resource would not have been the same in in the way that I needed it, you know? So I'm super grateful, you know, for having come to America Says Kitchen. I love being on television. Um, I love cooking and talking about food in the very exact and scientific ways that we do. It seems a little fussy sometimes, but the results are always so good. Absolutely. Um, but more importantly, I, it's also something I could live without. And people always look at me crazy when I say that, but I'm like, I've had such a fulfilled food career that like I know for sure that this is just a chapter in my life I don't mm -hmm. I don't know that you know I don't know that TV is my forever you know because I can do without it because I don't even watch TV right, right. Um, but I recognize that it, it's it's such a great opportunity it's been an amazing platform for elevating she chef and for just bringing more visibility um, you know for BIPOC you know, communities in media, right? Like, yeah. cause once one black woman has done it for the first time, no one else will have to have another first time. Right. right? Like now it's open. It's a space open for, I want someone to come fill my shoes. I don't want to be doing this for 24 years. Right. You know, not in, not in this way. Yeah. Right. Like there's other ways that I can contribute to it. Like, you know, but you know, this is a spot that I'm, I'm just paving or clearing the path for, someone else who looks like me or, you know, not exactly like me, but different from, you know, the norm to have a space. And, you know, uh, I'm happy about that. You know, it doesn't make me sad to think about it. I want to, I have dreams, you know, like I got goals. I want to be a bed and breakfast owner. I want yeah. to, you know, I, I, there are lots of things in this hospitality space that I aspire to do. Um, and if TV, as long as TV can fit in it, I will, I'd be happy to have it involved. But I, um, I love that it's an opportunity now that someone else can take advantage of when I'm ready to move on. Yeah, and I, and I really, I mean, I have to say, I have such huge respect for the Cooks Illustrated America's Test Kitchen kind of uh, methodology. Um, you know, before Taylor and I started the Brooklyn Kitchen, you know, we had a we had a subscription to Cooks Illustrated, and you know, back before you could look on the internet for recipes, yes. right? And so every <laughs> yeah. month, like when the Cook's Illustrated arrived, we would look and we'd be like, oh, that recipe looks, oh, that looks so, oh, that looks great. And so that's sort of where we got our start, like looking mm -hmm. through recipes and learning about methods of, of cooking and also thinking about how you teach that stuff and thinking yes. about like, how do you explain to someone, you know, the, the ins and outs of like cooking eggs? Yes. You know, which seems so important. simple and everybody does it, but there are, you know, millions of different ways to do it. Yeah. And there are ways that produce better results and worse results, honestly. And so, you know, and, I. And more importantly, there are people who have the patience to figure out <laughs> <laughs> which is which, you know. Uh, so that's always great. Right. Yep. Totally, totally. And then you've recently, I mean, so, you know, the, the other thing I think that's very interesting is that like media changes, right? You talk about being on TV and like, you know, you and I are, are of a, 
a generation that like at the, at one time TV was it, right? TV was the mm-hmm. pinnacle of media. Yeah. Um, yep. You know, and I've, I mean, I've always loved radio, but like TV was where I feel like, you know, real personalities were made and famous people showed up, right? Because it was mm-hmm. on a screen. But now yep. those screens have gotten smaller and we carry them in our pockets. And like, there's all these other kinds of media. And and now, I mean, listen, we're, we're talking right now on a podcast and you have a podcast. And like, that's a whole separate form of media that if you had asked me, 20 years ago if people would return to like an audio style of media and if that audio style of media would become huge i would have said no way everything wants to be visual so we're in like this interesting moment now so tell me about your podcast it's called the called the the walk-in right the walk-in yeah um so um the walk-in was something that um kind of came to be during the top of pandemia, right? Um, because right before um, the pandemic hit, uh, I was working on a video series that was going to be, that was loosely called New Food, and it was exploring the new and diverse food scenes um, in New England, mm. which um, is really exciting right now because even more so than when I arrived here five years ago, the food scene has become so much more diverse. Um, And so, you know, we had started production, like literally we were in the midst of an interview when we found out that we weren't going to be going back to our office because someone at one of the businesses down in our um, community had had um, a COVID scare. And that was the beginning of the end of Mm. new food. And so, um, you know, while we were, um, you know, throwing around ideas about new new um, content to put in the world, podcasts had come up in conversation, and and we played around with maybe making a podcast about she chef, um, but you know, but then we figured, you know, there could just be like some other like legalese that would be involved with like naming ATK's podcast after my company, and so we thought that wasn't a great idea, you mm-hmm. know, um, but. Um, you know, we were like, maybe a hybrid of the two, you know, maybe these conversations do include some of the kinds of women that would have been involved with She Chef or, or influence She Chef. And then also, um, other people's food, people's conversations about life and business. So it was a hybrid of these two things that I was already brainstorming. Right. Um, and so I came up with the walk-in because we, we, the title was really the lead in, right? Like I was like, I would love a place where people would just kind of come and tell all their business. Right. Because right? <laughs> my social worker loves to help people with problems, right. you know, talk or, <laughs> or just listen to their problems, you know? And, um, I like that, you know, and I was like the place that food people go to kind of really let off some steam or like talk to, you know, back in my days, we, you needed to talk to somebody or let a, let your anger off you'd go on the walk right right? that's where you go cool off or if you're (laughs) tired and you need some cold air to wake you up or you know you go to walk in and i thought like that would be a perfect place for these conversations to happen um in one's mind in the walk-in and so um that you know that was really how it started and then we just kind of sat down and said like well who are the most people most interesting people um, you know, coming through the food world at this time, because like 2019, it was like a surge of like really interesting folks coming to the forefront. I mean, like 
um, in, indigenous chefs, mm-hmm. um, more women of color. There were um, um, there were trans individuals, you know, coming sure. through the pipeline. Like so many, like the food, the face of food. It was like it was so multifaceted yep. and, and exciting. And I was like, let's just grab all these people. And and I had just kind of come off of my own little like media surge. And so I was, I had been meeting a lot of new people and um, even ushering in some new people through she chef. And I was like, let's just, you know, let's just ask them if they want to talk, you know? And so the conversations have a little bit of food talk about it, you know, but like, a lot of it is just really about the life of the person, you know, because we have some we have some very high profile guests who, who I mean, who were on like Chef's Table on Netflix. Right. Yep. Who've already put all of their information. You can read all the same articles. And so that was another thing that we encountered when we would do our research about a person that we were thinking to invite to be on the show. We would find all this media that they'd already done and all of it would be the same stuff over and over and over again, like told in a different way. Right. And so I was like, yeah, that's good. Like, let's not worry about that because I want to, I'm going to dig in deeper. I'm going to sink my teeth into it. And I want to talk about things that they haven't talked about with other media outlets. Right. I want more. And so that was really how the conversation have, have been happening. You know, like we do have a, we have a structure for the conversations, but quite honestly, they really unfold naturally, you know? And if you, if you ask my production team, They'll say it's all me, like you, you, you have you have this knack for pulling things out of people. But I think that it's the people's ability to trust the person that they're talking to. Right. Mm-hmm. So like me talking to you right now, like I know you, I've worked with your family, I've seen your wife have your children. Right. Like I can talk to you about anything in any kind of way. Like this is how we would be talking if if the record button wasn't going right now. Right. The people that you're talking to need to feel that same type of warmth and trust um, in who they're talking to. And that has less to do with me than it has to do with the fact that they know that I will make sure that their story is told in an authentic way. Yeah, absolutely. And and I you love know? that what, you know, the way that the, the show is written about is it's about the considering the reality of making it. And that's in quotes. Yeah. Because I think especially when, you know, we talked about it earlier with like TV and being a TV star and how if you sit down next to someone, you're like, oh, I'm on TV. Everybody's eyes go wide. Right. Mm-hmm. Like like you're living in some alternate reality that's not the same, but it is the same. Right. I yeah. mean, like it is the same. And the perception of someone's life who is has made it in whatever, you know, whatever industry you're talking about is often very different than the reality. Mm-hmm. It is. It really is. And, and it's the parts of, sometimes they really do want to tell people, but like their agent or their PR person tells them to tell this story, <laughs> right, right? This is, right. The, this is the narrative that people want to hear, you know, and it's very seldom people get a platform where they can, give their authentic, genuine narrative, you know, about what has happened in their lives before people knew who they were or the things that happened that made them who they are, you yep. know, like they very rarely get that opportunity. And, you know, my podcast is really a, a, a place for that. That's and awesome. they trust that. Thanks. Yeah. I love it. It's one of my favorite things to do. I really want, um, we have a cult following, but I would really love, um, you know, more listeners and, um, more feedback, you know, I, mm. I just want to hear what people are thinking and, you know, feeling out in the world right now. That's important. You know, like, how did this conversation make you feel? 
Yeah. Not so much. Did you like it or didn't you like it? You know, how did it make you feel? Yeah. And I mean, and and the list of guests so far is awesome. I mean, you have really incredible people on on there. I mean, from Karen Washington to Clay Williams, who I know, and Colleen Vincent, uh, you know, Jessica B. Harris, Omar Tate. I mean, it's a really cool, it's, you know, it's people that like, some of whom I know and have met and know as like real people as well. But definitely, like, I want to listen to all of them, because I'm interested to hear, you know, because, you know, especially now in COVID times, right? Like, you know, I mm-hmm. Clay is somebody who, like, I love Clay Williams and I know him, you know, I know him pretty well. But the way we knew each other was we would see each other at events. I would see yeah. him twice a month in New York at events and we would catch up for five or 10 minutes and it was honest, real conversation. And like, we're, you know, I consider him a friend, but he's also not someone, like, I haven't called him during COVID Mm -hmm. and he probably hasn't thought to call me and that's fine. Like there's nothing wrong with that, but I don't know what's going on with him because I haven't caught up with him because we just don't run Mm -hmm. into each other. Yeah. But you can find out in the walk-in because they're (laughs) going to tell you, (laughs) they're going to tell you what's going on. Yeah. Uh, Season two is equally exciting. I'm really excited about it. Um, Awesome. Do you want to give me a preview of like who's coming up? Who's going to be on? Yeah. We have, um, let's see, uh, Kristen Kish, Top Chefs, Kristen Kish. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say she belongs to Top Chef. I, I'm not, I don't want to, um, right. <laughs> I don't want to insinuate that, but Kristen Kish, who is, has appeared on Top Chef yep. and has worked with the great Barbara Lynch and is a wonderful chef within her own right. Um, we have Gail Simmons also from mm. Top Chef. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, because I love the opportunity to talk about all sorts of um Jewish cuisine and she we got deep into pickles and pickling and all that so it's really dope um who else um Carla Hall is joining us my mentor my friend um that's all I give you for now you no, gotta come awesome. and see who's who right right <laughs> I, honestly I just can't remember but no no it's all it's all good I mean, mysterious I mean one thing I love about about you is that you know you are so such a natural at this, but also like, you know, when people ask you, when is the, you know, when are you on TV? You're like, I don't, I don't really know. It's not, you know, like, you're not, you're not there. Like, you're not like, you know, the vanity is not there of like watching yourself and being like, oh man, my hair didn't look good in that shot or, you know, like any of that stuff. You're just like, I do, I do that. That's why I don't watch myself because I'll be, I just be critiquing the whole thing and not paying attention to the important thing, which is the food. I, so I don't, I don't even do that, but I, you're right. I honestly, I don't, I can't tell people at all. Even what time I come on in Boston, I don't know. Right. I have no clue. Well, everybody has the okay. internet in their pocket. They can figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. Look it up. Yeah. Look it up. I'll be there. I'm on the, I'm on the interwebs. Yep. You'll find me on their Instagram. <laughs> I'm on the YouTube and uh, maybe I'll be on the, the talk tick soon. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> you know? <laughs> oh man. So. You'll, 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 you'll laugh at this. So Moxie, who's now 11, if you can believe that. Oh my god. Got got kicked off TikTok. <gasps> Why did Moxie get kicked off TikTok? I don't know. So th- <laughs> they they are now using they them pronouns and I think mm-hmm. might have shared some stuff that maybe wasn't I don't know, didn't meet with the community guidelines. We're not really sure. We just know that they got kicked off TikTok. So <laughs> Well, you know, I think I knew that there was going to be something special about a child named Moxie. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm only a little surprised here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm only a little surprised. <laughs> um, so one of the things that has really struck me, uh, you know, about 
about talking with you and and listening to you know other podcasts you've done and stuff is the idea of the sort of power of the universe. And on one one podcast I was listening to, you said that uh, you're the person who says yes to everything unless it's going to kill you or bankrupt you. Yes. <laughs> so I mean, is is that a piece of advice you think other people should follow? I mean, you you might you talked about the moving to Boston and and said that had you actually taken more time to think about it, you might not have said yes. Which like if we play out what would have happened, right? You had undiagnosed cancer mm-hmm. before moving there that might not have been treated in a timely fashion. You wouldn't right. have ended up you know, doing what you're doing now at America's Test Kitchen or starting your podcast or any of those things. So I feel like that's definitely a piece of advice that like maybe people think a little too hard about things. I think that is usually the case, you know. Um, and sometimes we can we even think ourselves out of doing something before the something is on the table, right? Mm. Like we, we'll talk ourselves out of starting something if we think too long about it. Um, so yeah, you know, like I, I do encourage people to, not think less, but like, you don't, you don't have to like rationalize everything, you know, like I don't, I'm starting to not even necessarily believe that old adage that everything happens for a reason. Mm. I don't, you know, like, I don't know that I think everything happens for a reason. Like some things happen as a result of the decisions we make. Right. And the reason is you either made a decision or you, or you didn't. Right. And, and that could be making the decision to pursue it or not, you know, um, so I don't know, you know, I feel like we, you know, because of the world we live in, we are accustomed to dwelling in a space of scarcity, you know? And so we, we feel like we have to hold on to what it is that we have mm-hmm. and, you know, so tightly that if we're holding on so tight, if our hands are clasped so tightly, there's no room to put another thing in your hand, right? Like, there's no room to open up your arms to, to make space for another thing. And, um, you know, and it's not that we don't have dreams and aspirations, but we, some of us have gone so long without that. We don't know how to open up to receive another thing. We're holding on to what we have. And, um, you know, the universe requires just like us as people, right. Requires a certain amount of trust in order to work in our behalf. Right. Like you have to just like the guests have to trust me to tell their story in the ways that no other outlet is able to do um, without, you know, misconstruing or contriving. Right. You kind of have to do the same thing for the universe. Like in order for you to be able to receive everything that the universe has for you, you kind of have to trust that what is for you is actually out there. Right. And and that's not a like change your mind instantly sort of thing that it, it is a process. Right. It takes it takes it's a muscle that you have to build exercise you know and strengthen um but it you know it starts with little things you know like getting rid of old shit from your old relationships Mm -hmm. or you know or throwing out your old condiments you know (laughs) (laughs) it can start anywhere you know like i don't have room for more I can't get no QP mayo because I got too much uh, Fish sauce. mayo paste. <laughs> yeah, yeah like, <laughs> let's move some of this out of here. You know, like, let's get some new things in. And, um, you know, so I think if people practice just, like, making one seemingly difficult sacrifice to see what the universe can put in place of it, it's just good. It's just good practice, good form. You know, like, 
try it. Throw away one pair of old shoes. Right. See if you can make room for another. Or, right. you know, yeah. it's, a, it's a small thing. And I do think that that is, if, when people ask my advice, I always say that. Like, be open to making room for new things. Because had I not, had I not, even though I have never, I have not yet been, since I've been here, the show has not been nominated for an Emmy. Not America's Test Kitchen. Cook's Country was. Mm. Um, but, like, I work for an Emmy-nominated TV show right? right like at the end of the day you know like I can put that on my resume like totally. regard it doesn't matter you know so I've made space I went from um being the culinary producer who helped um pilot episodes come to life so that production companies could pitch to larger companies I, you know now I'm working for a company that actually already has Emmys like there's a yep. a lot of steps in between those two places that you could that I could have been right I could have been taking all 1000 of the steps between here and there or there and here um but you know saying let me just sacrifice where I am right now cuz I'm I don't know you know, I'm like, Boston? I've never heard of a TV thing coming out of Boston. So I'm okay. You know, I'll give it a try. And and then it turned out to just be a, a, just a great move. You know, like, and I'm not saying, like, the next move is going to be the absolute best move. But, like, the next move can be a great move. And then the one after that can be even greater. But, yep. you know, you got to practice being willing to make those moves. And I am speaking to myself today because I am also in the process of having to make a move um, in my home. Mm. And I'm I'm living in a in a two story house right now, right? And I'm I'm living in house space. This is me sharing some of my personal life, which mm -hmm. also you can know what I'm saying is real, mm. right? Um, I have enough furniture technically for a house, right? But I'm opting to move to an apartment where I have a hundred percent fly amenities, right? I've always wanted that mm. amenity living, right? I grew up watching the Jeffersons, for God's sakes. I want a, I want a penthouse in the sky, okay? Um, and so, you know, I'm like, oh, God, I'm going to have to scale back. I'm going to have to get rid of a lot of this stuff. And that's giving me anxiety, right? But yeah. I feel like, you know, like I also work very hard and I deserve to have a dog groomer inside my building and to look out my window and see the ocean. Yeah. And to have a gym right downstairs and a restaurant that makes good food. Like, I deserve the amenities, right? Like, it's a, it's the clearing out of things. And perhaps I need to give her some of this stuff anyway. Right. You know? I mean, like, I, I think that... What do I all this stuff for? I know, yeah, I mean, I, I love the, the idea that, I mean, you know life can be a, and and I'm I'm subject to this all the time. I'm a maximalist. Like I'm an accumulator of stuff. I grew up that way. And my family <laughs> is like that. And I can't help it, but I've been trying recently to practice like all right, well, some stuff's got to go out if more stuff's going to come in and it doesn't yeah. mean it doesn't mean I love the old stuff any less. It's just like, mm -hmm. well, I found some new stuff that I want to have now and I got to get rid of some old stuff like yeah. maybe the view of the ocean is better than that old couch, right? That you've loved forever and like, all right, well, get rid of the couch and then someday you can get another couch it's not like the world doesn't have any couches exactly exactly and that is kind of you know that's kind of where i am right now so i'm like okay uh fine i'm gonna i'm gonna see what happens right i'm just gonna see what happens and kind of go from there and you know um it's a muscle i'm still exercising it i still feel nervous and the anxiety that comes along with it and you know but i'm gonna i'm gonna choose to um, choose me, you know, and, um, and for, uh, if nothing else, if it don't work, I'm empowered to change it, mm -hmm. you know, like there's, 
nothing is permanent unless I say so. Right. right? And if it don't work, if you've, and this, especially as it relates to careers, if you've forged good relationships going forward and you decide that you're ready to transition, if you need to go back, as long as you haven't burnt that bridge and that relationship is good, there's likely always going to be a space for you there. So like, yeah, you know, do, do be about good energy in this world and you, you'll be solid. You'll be good to go. Awesome. Well, I think that is a great place for us to, to finish the, the feast your ears part of this conversation. That was amazing. Thank you so much, Al. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you so much. Thanks for listening to Feast Your Ears today. You can follow what Elle is doing at Chef L Simone on Twitter and at L underscore Simone underscore Scott on Instagram. And you can listen to her new podcast, The Walk-In, wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in to see her drop knowledge on TV on America's Test Kitchen. You can find Feast Your Ears as well as lots of other great shows at heritageradionetwork.org or your favorite place to find podcasts. Please reach out if you have any questions. You can reach me via email harry at thebrooklynkitchen.com, and you can follow me on Instagram at thefoodballer. Feast Your Ears is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.